0: In today's episode and then in the trials the kind of flag leaf timing is the big responsive one so we're often getting you know even last year which was we had that very dry spell around flag leaf timings um, we still got good responses so up to a tonne and a half from that flag leaf spray and that's where we're kind of placing the best chemistry so the newer um, products um, so, for example, the Univox, the stars going in at that timing, where we really maximise the kind of power of something, something new. Welcome to Cropcast.
1: I am Tiffany Stevenson, and today we're joined by Professor Fiona Burnett from SRUC to talk about fungicide performance trials. If you listen through until the end, you will hear an update from just now out in the field. Hi Fiona, how are you doing?
0: I'm good, thanks.
1: Would you like to start by introducing yourself?
0: Yes, Tiffany, I'm Fiona Burnett, so I'm Professor of Applied Plant Pathology at Scotland's Rural College.
1: Excellent. So today we're talking about trials. Would you like to just give a bit of an overview of some of the trials that are going on?
0: Well, we've got a a large program of field trials, um, many of them annual, some of them rotational and more systems-based. So we work from three main field teams out of Aberdeen, Edinburgh, and over at Auchencroove in air, but they then have satellite sites. So what we're trying to do is always pick a site and a crop and a situation to really test what we're trying to do. Um, So for example, my particular trials would be the, the pathology, the disease trials. So we're always trying to pick a situation where we can get the relevant disease and then work on it and test um, whatever it is, the varieties or the inputs um, and try and generate some useful results.
1: So you're just doing the exact opposite of all the farmers. They're trying to avoid
0: every disease and you're trying to find them all. Indeed, I'm always happy when other people are unhappy. Um, but it is worth remembering that many trial systems are like that. So they're kind of designed to, to be the worst case scenario. Um, so always when giving advice and interpreting it, it's worth thinking that some of the yield responses in trials will not be typical of what people get in a more sensible rotation or with a more resilient variety.
1: So today we're going to be focusing on the fungicide trials. Can you give a bit of an overview about how these are done?
0: Again, what we're trying to do with a fungicide trial is to test the kind of key questions that people have. So um, we'll often work on a a fairly weak septoria variety like Viscount because that's one of the major diseases people are worried about. And the same um, with barley trials, we'll be trying to work on weaker varieties to test um, inputs. Um, And then we have a range of trials, some of which come from the agrochemical company. So we're testing new products and some are much more open, like the fungicide performance work that we do for HDB, where we can really do a which guide to what's the best um, pesticide or input, and the field teams they work to kind of set protocols um, so that we can repeat the scenarios and and just be completely open about the test system and and how the results are generated.
1: So when you're doing the trials, are you putting on half rates, quarter rates, twice the rate? What what's your usual protocol?
0: Again, it would depend on what we we literally do hundreds and hundreds of these every year. Um, but As you're hinting, working with different doses of inputs and different timings lets us really explore how the individual fungicides work, um, where their kind of weak points are, and also how we can put them together into programs. So we test them kind of individually, um, the fungicide performance work, for example, we would do um, quarter, half, full rate and a double dose, which is, of course, beyond the label. So we have to crop destruct those those treatments. Um, but that really lets us explore where the optimum doses are and give advice on how they sit relative to one another. And then the really interesting bit is then when you put that together into programs and you can say what works best at T1, T2 as ear sprays, um, which fungicides complement each other. Uh, And that, of course, lifts it to the relevant piece um, that growers and agronomists are interested in is how it actually hangs together as a programme.
1: There's definitely a lot going on. It'll take a lot of keeping on top of as well um, when there's so many trials going on. So I think to begin with, we need to focus down on winter wheat um, and just narrow this down a little bit. So you were mentioning before about Septoria. What sort of work have you been doing on Septoria and what are you seeing?
0: Septoria is just one of these really difficult, it's... You know, it's in with us every year. It's kind of endemic in in wheat crops. Um, and a, as a trend, the kind of warmer, wetter winters are helping to bring that disease um, forward from, you know, autumn into the spring. So we're, mes- you know, we're working with quite a heavy load. And we're really at the limits of what we can do with our, our chemistry. So we're working um, on fungicide resistance aspects there. But we're also working on varietal resistance too so one of the reasons we have quite a heavy septoria problem is that historically we've had quite weak varieties um, and then some of our practices um, drilling early for example also means we're more likely to get septoria early in the season and of course in scotland there are plenty of good reasons for wanting to get a winter wheat crop established before um, autumn and winter weather, you know, cuts off field operations. So we know some of our crops are already at quite high risk. So we're working on all those different aspects of septoria.
1: So I feel like it's a case of prey for a really cold winter and then we won't need to talk about fungicides. Well,
0: we've often, not, it's not a joke that a frost does more than many um, autumn or winter pesticides. Um, So generally, again, we're we're starting the programmes in the spring, um, having hope for a nice clean up. Of course, the trials last year were typical of, of commercial crops in that they had had a nice, warm, wet autumn and carried quite a heavy disease load into the spring. So our trial results from last year were already, if you like, back footed by quite a lot of disease.
1: But that's exactly what you were wanting and what you were looking for. So then you were able to test products out. So what were your findings product-wise on treating Septoria?
0: So we know that of our existing azole chemistry, we've we've got um, prothioconazole and uh, Revisol, so that newer azole. So we see that decline in the azole chemistry um, and we see it just a little more pronounced every year. Um, And then that's why by working with SDHIs or QIIs, um, we can then bring new chemistry to that control. Um, And then, you know, it's always exciting when we get new products coming through. So, for example, we had a new SDHI um, launched um, just this autumn, which we've been testing for a number of years. Um, So, again, we can see how that slots in, uh, relative to existing chemistry,
1: so that new product is that now out on the market, and did you see good things in the trials?
0: We did. It's it's Iblon is its trade name, um, and it's 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 if you like it sits with the, the best of our existing chemistry. So it's great. It has broad spectrum. So it's active against rust and septoria. Um, which is really helpful that it has no weak points. But it's, I'd also caveat that by saying it's not better than anything we've got at the moment. So it's great that it's competitive with the best of available chemistry. And it's, you know, a new tool, but it's not that get out of jail that we kind of hope for that somehow we can keep relying on new fungicides and new introductions. So I just put that fantastic to have new stuff there. Um, But that little caveat that it's not the kind of a reason that we can forget about resistant varieties and other sensible things in our programs.
1: Yeah, there's definitely not one hit wonder with something that's coming out. Everything seems to just be helping and holding each other up a bit more rather than making a revelation. So when you're thinking about your Septoria program, is there timings that some products are better than others?
0: Yes. And again, that's where it then gets interesting, putting it together, where, um, you know, for example, last year, the trials, again, were like commercial crops, that there was quite a lot of yellow rust early on, and often in varieties where we weren't quite expecting it. So some of the newer ones like um, Bairstow, we were beginning to see rust. So that's an example where we would try from the trials to use alternative chemistry. So we quite often use the strabilurin in there because they're still very active on rusts. And we're kind of forced to bolster that with uh with an azole. And of course, that azole chemistry we are worried that we're kind of reliant on uh, all our subsequent spray timings. But that kind of is what it is. Um, and then for T1, again, the trials are kind of typical. We were seeing more eye spot in the trials. And again, some of that relates to, you know, warmer, wetter winters and to weak varieties. Um, but that's an example where by mixing an nasal and an SDHI, we actually get quite good broad spectrum activity. And the SDHIs have a place there in trying to manage the eye spot as well. So septoria is our main target, but we're always trying to keep an eye on the other things. Um, And then in the trials, the kind of flag leaf timing is the big responsive one. So we're often getting, you know, even last year, which was, we had that very dry spell around flag leaf timings. um, We still got good responses. So up to a tonne and a half from that flag leaf spray. And that's where we're kind of placing the best chemistry. So the newer um, products. Um, so for example, the Univox, the Revastars going in at that timing where we really maximize the kind of power of something something new. Um, and then the head sprays last year again in the trials proved really important because we had that just steady rain, rain, rain over the summer, um, which is just really conducive to head diseases and things. So again, that kind of early um, year spray where we could prevent some of the sooty moulds. And again, we were reliant really on azoles at that timing. So
1: you mentioned um, that you look at different dose rates. When you've been doing the different dose rates, have you been seeing that some chemistry potentially could be putting less on or some that you're needing to put more on. What's going on there at the moment?
0: I, I always try and argue that dose rate is the ultimate decision that the person in the field should be deciding. So when we're using dose rates, it lets us do a kind of which guide to go. Actually, we know, for example, that Revisol is a stronger azole than prothioconazole. So you you would be using different dose rates and you could compensate to some extent by coming up the dose rate of prothioconazole, but you could also just switch to a stronger form of chemistry. So I think that thing of picking the chemistry to do the job you want to do, and then within that, picking the dose that's appropriate to what you're seeing in the field. So you're responding to how good control you got at a previous timing, and to the risk that you see emerging in your crop. Um, So kind of applying typical dose rates um, is something that it's a trial tool, but I'd be really reluctant to then say to people, the correct answer is half rate or three quarter rate. And I know that's slightly dodging the question, but I, I do feel that picking your dose rate is the decision that somebody makes in the field.
1: Yeah, that sounds like great advice, really, because only the person standing in the field knows what the current situation is, what they're seeing, and also what the history of the field is, what diseases they usually see in that field. So it is actually good advice. Have a look at what you're seeing and work it from there.
0: And clearly you would moderate it through your kind of different timings. I mean, again, going back, the flag leaf is so important for yield um, that people will tend to be higher at that timing. And some of it will depend, you know, you could be on slightly lower rates at your T1 timing. But again, we know that what you're trying to do there is bridge from that, you know, leaf three coming out to your flag leaf coming out. So there is a danger if you go low and that gap is extended, you fall a bit short of what you need on the flag leaf. So again, that's very much about the season and the crop that you're seeing.
1: So you're saying T1 timing, some people will be putting a T0 on and some people won't be. And I know it's completely dependent on the year, on the field, on the situation. But in the trials, do you notice a difference if you put a T0 on or if you just started as a T1?
0: Yes, so typically we would get a kind of third of a tonne response um, to a T-naught spray. Um, But like all averages, that tells you very little. So within that, you get, you know, some that respond very well. They tend to be the ones um, with yellow rust. Um, And actually, going back to my earlier comment, our trials are deliberately, often deliberately designed to be quite weak agronomically for disease because, you know, that's what we're trying to do is is to work with a disease. Um, and as a farmer, you wouldn't want, you wouldn't deliberately go and set up a scenario with a weak variety that you've early drilled and done absolutely everything to welcome the disease in. So I would caveat that third of a ton by saying that actually, often commercially, where septoria is your only problem, you won't see that type of response. Um, but clearly, if you have yellow rust coming in, then keeping it out is is a major ticket so again that comes down to walking the individual crops and and knowing what you're looking at
1: and if you do find that you've got a lot of yellow rust what's the best thing to be applying
0: last year was fairly typical where often you know the the azole base is very strong um things like tebiconazole are, are relatively cheap and cheerful um and you know, do a good job on yellow rust, but they do need boosting if you've got established rust. Plus, it's not particularly good practice to use a straight product because of the resistance issues that I've hinted at um, in Septoria. So kind of mixing that azole with a strabilurin is, is quite a good approach. But then sometimes we also have to mix in um, some of the, if you like, the older morpholine style chemistry, um, which is available in some mixes um, to give an extra extra hit to the yellow rust.
1: You mentioned before that you look at timings as well. Does your timing of your applications, is that making quite a big difference um, to the disease pressure?
0: Yeah, I mean, we often, again, it's not really a joke, but the timing is much more important than your choice of product um, so that is the real art. And again, of course, in Scottish conditions, spray days can be few and far between. Um, crops can be relatively advanced. And then as last year, there's then a drought and they sort of freeze frame. Um, so getting those timings right is is often tricky. But broadly, being preventative is very important. So um, trying to be in... Um, ahead of very established disease. Um, The T1 one is often very tricky because we are trying to get that leaf three. um, And if we go slightly early and it can be hard to kind of hold your nerve and wait for leaf three to come out where you see disease bubbling up. But if you do go slightly early and you're only getting leaf four, then disease is really quite well established on leaf two by the time you're putting your flag leaf on. And then any, even the best chemistry will struggle at your flag leaf. So, yes, it's a black art getting your timing right, but it's it's more important, really, than the dose or the product.
1: You're saying it's difficult to hold your nerve when you're seeing disease there. It's probably difficult holding your nerve when you look at the weather forecast and you can see all the rain coming and thinking, am I going to get on or not as well?
0: Yeah. Um, uh, and again, we you have to be practical that... Um, You know, and again, that's one argument that people will use for using, you know, T-naughts that you've already covered, just that if you've got a lot of acreage to get round uh, and limited capacity, then there may well be a practical, pragmatic reason for doing a T-naught that is less about the yield response that you'll get and more about the fact that you've got some early um, control onto the crop. Um, But similarly, if you're in a position that you know you can leap onto things, um, you you could maybe drop that t knot. So it's absolutely horses for courses. And of course, in the trials, we have the added luxury that they are mainly hand sprayed. So it's much easier to get a person and a boom sprayer, a hand sprayer, out over wet conditions in little windows of opportunity than it is to get, you know, farm scale sprays applied.
1: Yeah, it's a very different situation, isn't it? So you mentioned before about easels are beginning to decline in their efficacy. What about the other products, are they managing to keep up their efficacy and is it consistent with previous years or has this just been an unusual year because it has been very wet?
0: So again, we've we've no particular alarms from what we saw control-wise in the field. Um, So, still, where we were combining azoles with SDHIs, we were getting acceptable control. Um, But Within those isolates, we know that SDHIs are a much newer group of chemistry, but every year we're seeing a few more mutations in septoria that just make it a bit less sensitive to that SDHI chemistry, Um, and every year we just get more complicated isolates of septoria. I'm not aware of any new outliers that are particularly alarming in terms of how easy they were to control. But we do know that within that population, it's just getting more complicated, more mutations are building up. And what you start to get is them combining in the one septoria background. So you get isolates out there that carry quite a lot of mutations, both to the ASLs and to the SDHIs. And that again, it just flags how careful we have to be at using mixed chemistry. And certainly in the trials, using multi-sites like folpet is really the main one in wheat. Um, that does help um, to make it tricky for those harder to control septoria isolates. When you put a multi-site on it, because it acts on so many pathways, it's almost impossible. I'm, I'm touching wood, as I say, <laughs> almost impossible for septoria to develop resistance to that. And that does help protect our, our more at-risk chemistry.
1: I feel like I'm going back to the beginning and saying let's pray for a heavy frost this winter (laughs) because it sounds like it's much easier just to have a heavy frost and just break that bridge over the winter and it'll make life a little bit easier when it comes to putting on products.
0: At least starting the spring with a clean palette would be a luxury but we can but hope.
1: (laughs) Is there any other findings that you've got about the wheat which you think everyone needs to know about?
0: I think the, I mean, there's always a lot of interest in the varieties that we're we're testing, um, and hopefully people got a chance to see varieties up and coming in trials. Um, but it's always useful if you can look at the kind of untreated and the treated um, data because the the variety test system has quite intensive fungicide inputs. So, for example, some, there was a lot of interest in LG Redwald. Um, so, a soft wheat, which at our East Lothian site we got fantastic yields, uh, you know, for the treated ones, so over 14 tonnes a hectare, which is good even by East Lothian standards. But it had a much lower untreated yield, so that idea that some varieties need a bit more um, input. Um, something that RGT Bairstow did well was quite high yielding in both the treated and the untreated trials um, so there's kind of new stuff up and coming so yeah varieties is always very key to people.
1: Excellent it's, de- it's definitely worth in the summer going around and seeing all the trial sites because it's it's so interesting to actually have a look and see what you can see in different varieties.
0: Even some of the older, more established ones like Skyfall, which we have in as controls, um, you know, they are now, people probably feel comfortable using them, but we were kind of two tonnes lower for the untreated there and almost three tonnes lower um, for the treated one compared to the kind of best yielding varieties. So even if you just move into small areas of something new, um, it sort of give some security before you move wholesale into a new variety.
1: Do you feel that some of the new crops that are coming through, the new varieties, that they're not as strong against some of the diseases because they're so high yielding, or is that not something that you've noticed? I
0: I think I'm pleased that actually the, the value of varietal resistance is being recognized so people kind of know that they're on the extremes of what we can do with chemistry and are paying much more attention um, to more resilient varieties so this average septoria rating has crept up which is really good Um, and I think breeders work hard to bring forward varieties with good characteristics and I think often previously we've not properly valued that And, you know, they've not been taken up. But yeah, I'm really pleased that actually people are beginning to look for those characteristics in the varieties that they're picking. Um, And for some, you know, I I mentioned I spot the current varieties are all quite weak. But again, I think people have that more in as a target now. So hopefully we'll see better varieties coming through on that front as well.
1: It's great to hear that that's what the breeders are working towards now because it'll help the chemistry as well and help give an extra level of help to the plants as well.
0: No, absolutely.
1: So, what are you currently working on on the IPM front?
0: For, for wheat, I mean, thinking in a more integrated way is absolutely key um, going forward. So some of that will be that we did a nice series of trials looking at drill dates and varietal resistance and inputs. And you clearly show that there's scope to trim back your fungicide doses um, where you're on a later drilled lower risk crop. Um, so that's kind of quite a basic example of IPM. Um, But we're also working on some of the um, elicitor-type products um, where, by applying them earlier, we can sometimes reduce inputs. Um, And that's quite an exciting area. It's still probably um, some growers are experimenting with that, um, but it's still not common practice. But some of those newer innovations, are coming to the fore. And there's also a lot of interest in the link between crop nutrition and the health of a crop. And again, it's something that's interesting to explore, but not yet very practical when it comes to messages going out to growers. But um, that idea that by testing a crop and at least avoiding some of the obvious deficiencies, you can keep a crop in better health and it will be more resilient to diseases and other stresses. So that's quite an exciting area in the trials at the moment.
1: It sounds an exciting area, and hopefully, give it another few years and a few more trials, hopefully, they'll start being able to come out with some good advice and guidance from it as well. Yeah.
0: I mean, even the very basics there that we've been used to tailoring stuff on a field scale um, and actually. Now that we can do much more precise methods, the idea that you actually begin to target your inputs over different patches and areas of the field is a kind of obvious progression in terms of how sophisticated we're being with our decision making at the moment.
1: Fiona, just to round up winter wheat, what would your main takeaways be that you want people to think about going into spring 2024?
0: Starting on the right foot, so making that T0 decision um, and basing it largely on whether you've got yellow rust um, and your capacity to get round at T1. I think trying the newer chemistry at the most responsive timings, um, so that flag leaf decision. I think my top tip would be to plan out the types of products that you are thinking of using so that you can alternate and mix through the season so get that framework but then as we've discussed pick your doses based on what you're seeing so that's your flexibility when you actually get to the reality Um, so yeah plan ahead but be responsive to what you're seeing And then I always get bogged down in the question. People go for resistance. Would it be better to mix or to alternate your fungicides? And my response is always, why choose? Do both. So mix, diversify what you're doing, add in your multi-site, but also try and alternate where you can as well.
1: That's excellent advice, Fiona. And hopefully if everyone follows that, they'll have a successful season.
0: Fingers crossed.
1: So Fiona, we've talked about winter wheat fungicide trials, and what about the barley fungicide trials? I'm assuming to begin with, they kind of follow the same um, pattern of what you're doing and looking at a range of different things, like your doses, um, the timings, and the program. Is that right?
0: That's right, Tiffany. Um, And we have a mix of winter barley trials, uh, and again, they're useful because. By definition, putting a winter barley in, you're more likely to get that overwintering disease pressure and more wrinkle than we would get in a spring crop. But obviously, we do a lot of spring barley trials as well because that's Scotland's major barley crop. And last year, the trials, again, so light the commercial situation, so we were late drilling um, because it was very wet in March. So all our trials went in in April, so slightly later than, than the norm. Um, and then they were all in that very dry period. So we were pretty gloomy about the prospects, but actually the, the quality and the yield were quite good, which was something of a surprise and maybe a measure of you know, how resilient that crop can be. It really was extraordinary how it managed to um, tiller and, and come through um, to quite reasonable yields. But there were a lot of challenges, not least with harvesting it. So. And that's always a taxing time for our trial team.
1: I think harvest this year was a taxing time for all the farmers as well, not just the trials team. shared the pain. Yeah, it's been an interesting year. Um, So having been an interesting year, did you see any unexpected results um, in the fungicide performance trials?
0: So again, we actually managed to generate quite good levels of disease. So ramularia is one of our major targets. Um, And again, that's an example where commercially there actually wasn't very much ramularia out there. Um, But because we put the trials with weak varieties onto sites um, where we get quite high moisture levels and really work hard to do the wrong thing to get ramularia, And we got some quite interesting results there. And actually, encouragingly, it's another disease we worry about resistance, but actually we got quite acceptable levels of control from our azole and from our STHI chemistry. So that was was encouraging. Um, And again, we have new products coming through that are not yet at market. Um, So there's a little bit of respite If you like coming through but again i put that heavy caveat on that we can never never rely on a on a new fungicide tool it'll be lovely if we get one um, but we need to keep doing other correct things agronomically too
1: So the new products which you're trialling at the minute are they likely to go through another year of trials, or
0: might they be? They'll go through another year before they're before they're launched. So we're
1: we're still going to have to wait a little bit of time for those. But as you said, it's probably not going to revolutionise it.
0: No, it'll be helpful, but yeah, yeah, not a total game changer.
1: So thinking about controlling rinko in barley, how are you controlling it and what are you seeing?
0: Rinko is really, of the foliar diseases, the most damaging to yield where it comes in. So for the winter barley crop, again, tip number one would be a more resistant variety. Um, but often that's somewhere where we see the T not doing quite well in trials because it's another disease that's really hard to eradicate and much easier to prevent. And we see um, strabillion chemistry still being quite strong. We see good control from the ASOLs um, and we also see good control from the STHIs. So it's a brilliant opportunity to be able to mix and alternate what you're doing, particularly on the winter crop, where the pressure is more intense. And in the spring crop, again, this trial year was quite a good example because the crop had to come through very rapidly and then it was quite dry. Most of them grew away um, without any significant wrinkle pressure. So again, that idea that you're tailoring your inputs, there might be no particular need to really target wrinkle in a spring crop. Um, so that should be a kind of field by field decision that people can make.
1: It's great to hear that you're saying that all the products are working as they should be. That sounds quite positive. They're not seeing so many declines like you saw in the wheat.
0: Yeah, I mean, we keep an eye on it. We know that the azoles there, you know, have a range of efficacies. But I think it's been really helpful over the years that we tend to be on slightly lower doses in barley. And we know that that's helpful from a resistance management point of view. The more you use, the more you crank the resistance handle. So we're using lower doses. And historically, we have been good at mixing as well. Plus, we've got the strabillirins still strongly in play. Whereas in wheat, the strabillirins, of course, have failed for, wrinkle, eh, for septoria. So I think that's been helpful in the barley context at keeping them Um, with good efficacy and of course we can use the multi-site sun barley too so that brings in a kind of another leg on our chair.
1: Excellent so as there is quite a lot of strong products out there that are having an impact and using them together is working well what sort of types of products would you be using at each timing?
0: Always a mixture. And again, we're usually very reliant on the azoles. So for a long time, prothioconazole's been the kind of um, main azole in, in barley and still very effective when it comes to to wrinkle. Um, and still quite, you know, mildew creeps into some barley crops as well, and we get some preventative control there from prothio. But again, we have revisol, that newer methen trifluconazole azole. Um, and it's particularly effective at ramularia. Um, so it has a, a, a niche there you have to be a little careful with timing um, but it's it's an example of where you can slot in different different chemistries
1: and what about for a head spray? because i know this year everyone was much more concerned about what was happening with the head so what what would you be looking at there
0: well, that's an interesting one in barley because historically, you know, our last timing, that T2 timing, is aimed at kind of ear emergence or booting. Um, and we've done a, it in a wet summer where people begin to see sooty moulds creeping in. We always get this question about, you know, is an ear spray on barley going to be helpful? And our, our trial results really quite clearly show that on spring barley, we've never seen a yield response to a ear spray, so a T3. Um, so I can really be quite comfortable in saying that about the spring barley crops. Uh, very occasionally on the winter barley crop, we see a, a small yield response. But again, it's so rare to get a yield response. And often by the time you're seeing sooty moulds, you're beyond the ty- the last application timing of anything that will be effective anyway. So yeah, I really steer away from tier t th- T3s on, on the barley crop. Um, it it's it's hard where it's a wet summer and you see things begin to blacken this year was typical we were seeing microdochium, fusarium, um, and sooty moulds coming in. But by the time you're seeing them there's really nothing, nothing to be done. Shut the gate and don't look. <laughs>
1: Well, hopefully we won't have a repeater this year, next year, touch wood, but hopefully the weather will be a little cheerier and people won't be having that worry on their hands.
0: It's overdue, yep.
1: <laughs> so when you're thinking about the winter barley programme, um, what else are you thinking about?
0: The I, I would go back to just the idea that you're putting mixtures in um, and really tailoring what you're doing. Um, to the variety. So um, the T1 is the most responsive timing there, um, which is the reverse of what we were talking about in wheat. So for winter barley, getting that T1, putting your strongest chemistry on there, again, that might be some of the newer SDHI azole mixes, um, and possibly including uh, a product, a multi-site like Fulpit there to really get the best control at the T1. That's your key. Um, and then ramularia areas, your worry at T2. Uh, the risk is generally slightly lower in that winter barley crop. Um, and again, doses to be picked depending on what you're seeing, but you can probably come down the dose a bit um, for that uh, T2 timing on the winter crop.
1: Yeah, so get, get it right is the best advice I feel for that one. So with the winter wheat, we talked a bit about IPM programmes. Um, Is there anything you should be specifically thinking about for the barley?
0: Again, a resistant variety for starters. Um, We're also doing a little bit of work, well, quite a bit of work on the impact of minimum tillage uh, on barley. Um, So it can be helpful in terms of your soil health, clearly. um, But we've still quite a long way to go. Um, particularly with the spring crop, establishing uh, the spring crop well into mental conditions uh, and working with the risk that there might be a slightly higher risk of aphids coming in off um, cover crops and things. Um, So there's pluses and minuses to some of our IPM trials there. But as with wheat, we're working on kind of alternatives as well. So biologicals, elicitors, and also um, crop nutrition to really kind of tailor um what we're doing to the to the best that the the crop can be
1: i feel like that's another case of watch this space and hopefully in a few years time with a bit more research we'll have some good messages coming out from those yes. so oil seed rapes in the ground and i'm sure everyone's beginning to think about what sprays to be putting on for their light leaf spot and fomo what but following this season, what sort of things have you been seeing and what would your advice be?
0: The light leaf spot in Elsidrape, I fear, might be tricky for people this autumn because we're getting into the period um, at the end of October um, where people would be thinking about those light leaf spot sprays. In terms of products, I mean, again, it's another disease we're working preventatively, getting something on to keep the epidemic out is often helpful, Um, but the caveat is always that it has to be on late enough to try and bridge the winter, but not so late that field conditions deteriorate and you can't get onto the land. And of course, at the minute, after, you know, Storm Babette, ground conditions are pretty tricky for many people Um, and that may mean that they can't get that autumn spray on and that being the case they're going to have to manage it in the spring and just be a bit more aware that if they didn't get a planned autumn application on they may need to go slightly higher uh, with dosage uh, with their spring application and of course again with O.C. drapes a bit more sensitive to phytotoxicity issues and if the weather's cold we are kind of limited in how high we wish to go as well so we're kind of boxed in at around the half dose um but they might want to nudge up a little bit depending on the chemistry they're using so yeah it could be quite tricky for people um certainly where some some soils are draining remarkably well um, And they can probably continue quite well. But for others, it will be trickier at the moment.
1: Yeah, the weather never seems to help anybody, does it?
0: No. I mean, this time of year is usually tricky, but this year is even trickier.
1: And there's no real change to chemistry that's available for oilseed rape and a change to efficacy either?
0: No. So I think in terms of the chemistry that people are used to using, you know, we've been quite reliant on azoles like tebiconazole uh, and prothioconazole there uh, and some of the mixed SDHI, in chemistry. So in trials, they're all much of a muchness. Again, it's more about the timing and the dose than it is about the product, although some of the newer mixed products yield slightly better in, in trials. Um But yes, there's nothing particularly new in terms of the messaging. No sort of brand new um, saviour that um, I can do a big reveal on. Um, And I think people will broadly be using what they're comfortable with and what they have used before.
1: Well, fingers crossed that the soil drains well and people can get on this autumn to make it easier in the spring. Indeed. Fiona, there's been a lot of great information there and I'm sure there's a lot of people dying to hear more about it. Where where, where will they be able to find out more?
0: If people want to pick up more, and it's always hard to hear information like this, it's sometimes easier to see charts and graphs. The easiest way would be to come to one of the agronomy roadshows that we're doing in January in partnership with the HDB. So we'll be touring Scotland Uh, and people can see the detail of the variety results, the fungicide results, some of the newer integrated stuff. And we'll be doing a piece about biodiversity benefits to arable farms as well. So that would be great. And then there's also links, you can look at things like the variety results on the HDB's own website. So again, if you really want the particulars of which variety and which site, you can get as much data there as anybody could wish
1: have a look in the show notes and we'll link what Fiona has been talking about. And it would be great to see as many of you as possible at the Gwannery Road Roadshow. Thank you, Fiona. Thanks, Tiffany. Next up, we have the update from out in the field.
2: Hello, my name is George Chalmers and I'm a consultant with SEC Consulting. This spring has been very challenging for farmers as they try and establish their spring crops. We're starting to see the sunshine and the soil warming up and we're now seeing more and more fields starting to The Crops should start racing through the growth stages hopefully but unfortunately that also means that the weeds will do the same. It now means that we need to start thinking about our weed control strategy. You need to really know what your problem weeds are. Is it grass weeds, broad-leaved weeds or is it even wild oats? Remember some weeds are more competitive than others You have more upright weeds, such as wild oats or cleavers, that can cause real harvesting issues, and also potentially crop quality problems. And you've got other weeds at the other end of the spectrum that are quite prostrate in their nature, such as annual meadow grass, that can look pretty bad in the field. However, don't cause so much of a problem, certainly not in terms of crop yield. Ask yourself if you have a potential weed resistance problem. We're seeing more and more issues with, for instance, chickweed, Not in herbicides struggling to control it. Maybe you need to start thinking about using a different chemical with a different mode of action. What are key considerations at this time of the year when it comes to weed control? Firstly, know your weeds. Match the herbicides and their rates to the weed spectrum on your farm. Secondly, do you have resistance issues on farm? If so, think about using herbicides with different modes of action. And finally, going early with spring weed control gives you the best chance of effective control and also reduces competition to the crop.
1: Thank you for joining us today and thank you to Fiona for being an excellent speaker and giving us lots to think about. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please make sure you subscribe and follow our podcast so you're updated when new episodes come out. If you have enjoyed the podcast, why not try listening to one of the other Farm Advisory Service podcasts? The Rural Roundup has a quarterly spotlight on policy, where the team are joined by Professor Stephen Thompson from SRUC's Rural Policy Centre, where he shines a light on what's currently happening with rural and agricultural policy. It's definitely worth a listen. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you again next time.
2: The Farm Advisory Service Podcast. Audio advice on livestock crops and soils, environment, rural business and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government.